The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. It's a mailbag episode. Reminder that if you want to contribute to the mailbag, you got a couple different avenues. Number one, go to wherever you get the Cover 3 Podcast in audio form. Leave us five stars. Leave us a review for the show. And also include your question for the mailbag. It'll get added to the big old bag of mail. Also on Twitter, Follow us at Cover 3 Podcast. We will call. We will solicit for questions from time to time, and we will be including uh, a couple of those as well. I would say that this is mostly a review-heavy mailbag, but uh, we we try to add it all in. Uh, we appreciate everybody who has reached out so far. Um, we are sitting here recording on Wednesday morning after what was a total uh, bat you know what night in Maction. Like the this is not going to be a total uh, Mac recap episode, but um, Akron showed a ton of life in the first half. And by a ton of life, it's like nearly perfect offensive football. Something we hadn't seen from a team that had lost so much. Tom Arth, a.k.a. Uh, Coach Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights. You know, we were spotlighting him and we were putting, like, hey, look at, look at what he's got going on with the zips. And then what happened? Tom, what happened in the second half of that game? Uh, Kent State scored more points. Akron had like a five-yard punt, and then <laughs> then Akron did score once more, but it didn't score nearly as many as Kent State. Sixty-nine and to thirty-five is the final score there. Yeah, I took I took Akron plus twenty-six as my Twitter tip of the day. They scored thirty-five points, and they still didn't cover by more than a touchdown. I took the <laughs> under, and. Not only was the under dead by halftime, which is again, not, not shout out to Todd Furman, who sometimes does CBS sports HQ. He came out and said this, that's not a bad beat. That's a bad bet. All right. You know, you, you didn't get screwed over. It's not like, like that was just a bad pick through and through. So it was dead by halftime and just, um, like Kent state could have done it just on their own, which brings us to bowling green heard Barton Simmons 
heard us. I mean, I've, I've been uh-huh. jumping in on it too. At, what was the last night like for your bulls? I mean, I, obviously the, the cover didn't come through, but and Jarrett Patterson, not single T Jarrett, not double T Jarrett, who's out for Notre Dame's offensive line for a while. Single T Jarrett is one of the best running backs in the country. 300 rushing yards and four touchdowns for him. What do you think following the bulls last night? Well, when you're, when you're, um, principle is to fade Brian Van Gorder. And when Brian Van Gorder is not coaching in the game due to COVID related issues, one of like half the staff that wasn't coaching, then your principal goes out the window. So you know what? Like, Hey, I, I I didn't know, didn't know he wasn't gonna be on the sideline. Honestly, uh, Bowling Green looked pretty good in the first half in particular. Like they looked pretty competent. And they've actually been playing not horrible given the scores. <laughs> they've just uh, they they and and frankly Buffalo has gotten has been the beneficiary of the first couple of games of a lot of turnover luck. But um, I don't know, twenty five points was was not enough. It's all right. It's all right. If you're if if you are like a member of the Bowling Green coaching staff though, and your team plays its best game when half your staff is missing. Does that sound like up an alarm bell or something? Yeah. I mean, I I don't think that just means you get like more bragging rights in the coaching room. I think we got to consider real staff shakeup here. Who is there for the win and how much more responsibility can we give you? All right. Uh, anyway, more more action will be coming through. We'll have Mac locks again next week, and then I think in December the Mac settles into uh, some Saturdays for the rest of the way. But on Mondays, um, you know, always pay attention to the Mac locks. It's, it's next been- next weekend we got Kent State Buffalo. Mm. A game of the year in the Mac. That's uh, I think that's a that might be a Saturday game. The twenty eighth is that a Saturday? That's a Saturday. There we go. Let's go. <laughs> Move uh, over SEC game of the week or whatever. Like let's let's we'll go. Fle- flex it in. To It'll be the- weird when you talk about for the Mac the challenges of playing on Saturday. Like right? it's going to be yeah. the thing that's odd for them <laughs> yeah. to get out of schedule. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, let's dive into the mailbag. First question on uh, the, the the subject of the week. Uh, this one comes from Twitter. Uh, Shadow of Death Valley. Wonder if he's a Clemson fan. He says, uh, I get the Bama analyst joke, but were you guys really trying to imagine a scenario where Muschamp is a head coach again? That'll never happen. Most South Carolina fans didn't want him in the first place, but Tanner biffed that hire big time. Tanner, and that's a athletic director, Ray Tanner. Uh, Tanner is probably next in line to go. So I guess for the question, we did we, we tried to sort of spin out the what might be next for Muschamp. Do you think Will Muschamp will be a head coach again in college football? I think he, I suspect he will. Um, though I don't think it'll be a high profile job. Mm. I, I think when these guys get a taste of head coach life, they they don't want to go back in in, a, in most cases. And 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 Will Muschamp is he has a a respectable enough resume to not just be, like he didn't. There, there's nothing precluding him from being on another AD's list down the road at some point. Now it's not a, maybe, maybe not a power five AD list, but uh, I think about like Frank Wilson, who was the head coach at UTSA um, recently, you know, got, got replaced um, prior to that was like a recruiting coordinator and running backs coach at LSU and was one of the best recruiters in college football. And he's now the head coach. I want to say it's at McNeese state. 
Um, but like you're like he could have he could have easily probably been making more money than he is right now. Been on a staff playing for national championships, recruiting superstars, but he'd rather be an FCA head coach than just be an assistant coach playing for the big time games. And that's unique to Frank Wilson. Maybe it's not the case with everyone, but I, I kind of envision like Will Muschamp being a, maybe in a, a state somewhere, like maybe even MTSU or, you know, just, just one of those Southeastern schools bring the Bama blueprint to the group of five and he doesn't have to compete against the SEC juggernauts and he'll probably do okay. Yeah, no, I can't remember whether I talked about it on the uh, the emergency pod or on Monday, but I, I do think that he'll end up getting a head coaching job somewhere at the group of five level in the future because, okay, so we know that at the power five level, he hasn't been able to, you know, take teams past a certain point. But if you're a smaller group of five program and not even just for name recognition, although I do think Muschamp's name recognition will help, if you're just looking to put like lay some sort of foundation for your program and at least achieve a certain modicum level of success, I think Will Muschamp down the line will probably be a perfectly reasonable hire. Like if you're a Sun Belt school, like I don't know, this is regardless of any situation of any coach there right now. I'm just just throwing out the teams as examples. Like if you're ULM or a South Alabama or somebody like that, and Will Muschamp is interested in taking over your program the next time you're looking for a head coach, why wouldn't that be somebody you consider considering his recruiting ability and everything that he's had at much larger schools and his knowledge of running those programs? That's somebody who you could have come in and help improve your program and maybe, you know, help you compete in the Sun Belt or whatever conference, Conference USA, Mountain West, whatever. So, yeah, I, I do think he'll be a head coach again because he has had good seasons. He hasn't lived up to what Florida fans wanted him to be. And he hasn't lived up to what South Carolina fans wanted him to be. But let's also remember, aside from those few years under Steve Spurrier, it's not like South Carolina's football program has a long history of being extremely successful. So I don't feel like he's a I know he didn't do as well as they wanted him to, but I don't feel like he's a complete failure at South Carolina just because he didn't win games. That's not an easy job to win at. Of course, he's going to be a good coach. He's going to be a head coach again. Jimmy Sexton is his agent. So, of course, <laughs> he's going to be a head coach again. I say that kind of jokingly, but I kind of say it seriously because we are talking about one of the most powerful men in college football. But I agree with all your guys' points. I'll give you some other names that maybe when we had these discussions earlier, when they were first let go, you would have been, man, I don't know if I could ever see that guy becoming a head coach again. Um, Lane Kiffin. You know, with, with the way things kind of unfolded throughout his career, Hugh Freeze, who's right on the cusp of getting another job. When he was, you know, with what transpired at Ole Miss, people would have said, no way. How about Bobby Petrino? With what happened at Arkansas? No, he'll never get another job. And I got probably the worst example of somebody who could coach and would give him the opportunity, but the petitioning prevented it was Art Bryles. Art Bryles could be coaching again, but people petitioned to stop it, right? Um, so there's always, it is the old boys network. It is the fraternity of coaches, whatever you want to call it. If you've coached at the level, the elite level with Will Muchamp has, and you've done it successfully, I think you could argue that he's done it successfully at times, you're going to get another opportunity. I think he's going to have to take the long road, just like some of these coaches did, Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he goes and he's a defensive coordinator in the SEC. But I absolutely think he'll get another opportunity. He's only 49 years old. And I would say it would probably come sooner than we think. 
uh, it would happen. Yeah, and I think I think another example to go along the lines of what you're saying is think of Willie Taggart. This is somebody who <laughs> at Western Kentucky, like he did a very good job taking a very bad program and making it respectable. That led to him getting the USF job where he took that job up, built it up to a 10 win season, left to go to Oregon, had one pretty mediocre season at Oregon before Florida State came calling, was so good at Florida State that they fired him in the middle of his second season. And then a few months later, he's getting the head coaching job at FAU. So, yeah, well, Muschamp's going to have a head coaching job again somewhere soon. You know what I'm curious about? Who? What, what's the next job going to – because one another coach that I'm sort of thinking of, right, is, is Bo – he gets let go at Nebraska. He actually goes down to Youngstown State. I guess he gets a bit um, – kind of misses the big time, misses the spotlight, so he cycles back up. He's decoordinated at LSU. That's been a complete failure, complete disaster. Yeah, that's where Muschamp Bo, is. Muschamp's going to go be LSU's defensive coordinator after Pelini gets let go. Okay, so that's, <laughs> that would be very on brand. That sounds like a perfect fit for what Ed Orgeron would hire. What's the next step for Pelini? Because he's going to hmm. get fired. So where does Pelini go? Does he go? Is he like a D coordinator at some group of five program next? Does he just sit it out for a while? Is he an analyst at Alabama? Does he, does he retire? He's not that old. Hmm. I don't know. I would think that uh, he could, I, you know, honestly, I could see Bo Pelini coaching in the Mac. I, I mean, you th- he went back to Youngstown state. That's kind of, you know, so I could see him picking up, like say if Frank Solich retires soon in Ohio, I could see Bo Pelini being held. He'd, he'd do it again. Frank Solich. They took after Nebraska, got rid of him. Take on Bo Pelini after, the, you know, longer, but after Nebraska got rid of him, I could see Bo Pelini taking a job like that. But I do think he'll have to sit out of hand. He's just going to have to like take himself out of yeah. the game and just like sit out for at least a cycle. Right, right. All right. Next question comes from Bobby. Here is your five stars. Absolutely love the show. However, Chip Patterson talks and tries to be funny entirely too much. He mm. also has the most punchable face in America. Congrats on overtaking Dan Wolken. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy the show. And although was skeptical of Danny to begin with, he's been a great addition question. How many RTs on a Twitter post would it take to remove chip from the show so that it can flourish? Kidding. Ha ha. Kinda real question. How long of a leash does Kirby smart have starting to get some real Mark Richt vibes? Can Brock Vandegriff be his savior? Rick posted a 42 and 10 record with one SEC championship after four years, while Smart is now at 43 and 12 with one conference title. Wait a minute. What's that guy's name? Bobby. Bobby comes with all that heat for Chip, and he's a dog? I think he's it's going to ask. I, I think it's a Florida fan that wants to I think hear it's a Florida fan that yeah. wants to hear that Kirby's on a short oh, leash. I think okay, that that's what okay. we're seeing right here. All right. All right. That because that kind of like a Clemson cool. fan asking about, about South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also before before we get into this question, Chip, hell of a sweatshirt, bro. Oh, the wonders. Yeah. Where did that come from? How do I get my hands on one of those? We might be able to dig up an old link or it might be dead. They're probably out of out of circulation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, we gotta get those get get those recirculated. All right. Sorry. Someone else can can dive in on that one. I just had to. Well, I mean, Brock Vandergriff's kind of your bag. I was kind of like, can he be the savior? 
Okay, the Brock Vandergrift question. I thought that I wanted I wanted to get, you know, like everybody in the mentions or in the reviews, you know, it deserves some, some time in the light. And if, if you really are feeling that strongly about my punchable face, I figured I'd give it some airtime. What number, real quick, before I want to hear Barton's answer too, uh, real quick, how many retweets would make you nervous? Like if we said 10,000 chips gone, would you be nervous? Or would it be 100,000? A million, like... Danny, 10,000 might be scary. If it was Canelo, I'd be out. I'd be bounced in a heartbeat. Danny, uh, working with you has opened my eyes to the bots and the numbers that can come from just hate. So I, I, I don't even know. It's, it is out, incalculable. I got to say, though, Dan, like Danny's, the Danny haters came strong Oof. out of the gates with the one stars. And, but, but it's really like pleasantly, it's, it's, it's died, died off. A uh, lot of lot of Danny like ple- like oh pleasantly surprised by Danny like Danny's actually a good addition and then every <laughs> once in a while there's just that hater that's just hanging on and all the five star reviews there's another one star in there and just Danny sucks yep. like, bro they, they come out of the woodwork for sure most of the times the hate comes from Twitter and I think I've been better on Twitter I used to be unhinged on there and would just be throwing haymakers and going back and taking <laughs> shots at the SEC. I feel like in my older age, I've gotten away from that. I've got three kids now who kind of occupy my time. I don't have time to just sit there and go back and forth. Hopefully, that's my thought anyway, is that hopefully I'm more enjoyable on uh, on the podcast, I hope. So Brock Vandegrift. It's debatable. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So here's my thing with Brock Vandegrift. Yeah, Brock Vandegrift is a stud, right? Um, but Jake Fromm... Justin Fields, JT Daniels, Jamie Newman, like which one of those guys isn't a stud or did we not think was a stud and yet the offense is still the offense. And so I'm, I am not ready to make any predictions as to what Brock Vandergriff will do in turning around the Georgia offense in, in, in giving it some sort of rebirth. It, it is what it is until they prove otherwise. Um, now, I think he comes and he provides some athleticism. He can be kind of an Ian Book sort of athlete back there with the ability to get you 75 yards rushing in a game, um, extensive play, scramble around. But I, I, I just – it is what it is. Now, the, the reality is, too, though, George Pickens is coming back next year. Dominic Blaylock will be back and healthy next year. Darnell Washington, the, the massive tight end, is, is getting some burn as a freshman. He'll be back. Marcus Rosenby Jackson is, is, is back next year. Uh, presumably, he recovers from that brutal injury. Arian Smith hadn't gotten a lot of burn this year, but he's a really talented guy that there was raw as a true freshman this year, and he's a, as fast as there is a player in college football. Um, you would think he's going to have an opportunity down the road. Brock Bowers, a guy that they're signing in this class, arguably the best tight end in the class of 2021. Like, it's an embarrassment of talent at the wide receiver position, an absolute embarrassment of talent. So, I don't, I know. Like, the, the the answer remains like, no, I don't, I don't envision anything changing. But at the same time, there is no excuse for there not to be an offensive explosion. I just, I just, I've just given up on it. George Pickens is in danger of becoming my new Donovan Peoples Jones. Mm. This is not, this just was, way too much talent for there to be so little production. 
Yeah. I mean, last year was last year was the freshman season. I thought could have foreshadowed. Like, look, I expected it. I I expected a sophomore season that was going to be a huge jump, and it just hasn't come. Now, whether that's on him or whether that's on the quarterback, whether that's on the OC, I don't know. But I think I think it's a mix of all three, probably. <laughs> probably, but but you could still envision like it's still not hard to envision it coming as a in year three, right? Just yeah. I mean, he had like 800 yards receiving as a true freshman. Yeah. But it's just, but I mean, through what he's played four games this year, he's got 13 catches for 140 yards. It's like, yeah. For me, for Georgia, and we've talked about this a lot, I don't think it's talent. I don't think it's an offensive talent. I don't think it's a quarterback specific issue. I do think Stetson Bennett has limitations. I don't think that was the plan coming in, though. To me, I've got to see a philosophical shift that they're actually going to open up an offense and actually start letting a Todd Munkin be aggressive, let them stretch the field vertically. And until I see it, I'm just not going to believe it, no matter who the quarterback is. I mean, Dwight Mathis was a four-star prospect coming out, had, you know, they've had their guys come there before. And, you know, I know there's kind of an excuse saying, well, Jamie Newman opted out of this season. I don't have any confidence that you would have seen that much of a difference with Jamie Newman or JT Daniels under center for Georgia. I need to see it from a play calling standpoint before I buy into this new look Georgia team. I think the Jamie Newman would have been the best answer of all the possible answers because they wanted, like they wanted to go Dwan Mathis when, when Jamie Newman was out, JT Daniels he was healthy or not. Like who knows what that mystery is, but they wanted to go Dwan Mathis and Juan Mathis provides an athletic element. He just couldn't. He just couldn't complete passes. He he threw interceptions against Arkansas. He just didn't look good throwing the ball. I think having the athletic element that Jamie Newman could have provided was what they wanted to do. So I think that could have been the best Georgia this year, and they didn't get that option of playing it. Okay, quick follow up because this this question was a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I want to see y'all's response, Aaron. Uh, this is a totally separate question, but Aaron said, would it make sense for Georgia to go for a triple option coordinator? They have great line play and the best backs in the nation. And those attacks stress the whole field, but in a different way than Bama, OSU, Clemson, or Notre Dame. Can you have a fighter pilot QB in that style? No. Yes, you can. They play for air force. They are literally fighter pilot, triple option Uh quarterbacks. But, you know, I've I've long argued that more power five programs on the bottom of the conference should be running options. Teams with as much talent as Georgia have should not be running the option because the option is what you run to make up for it to get deficit and talent. I mean, I know I agree with you. I'm, I am curious, like, do you think that you could like, is it is it feasible not to run just like a straight triple, but. Some sort of well, isn't that Auburn, Carolina? Um, isn't that Auburn now? You said well. It's like isn't isn't a lot of the concepts around uh, the way that Gus Malzahn builds his offense? It's not 
triple option, but it certainly is trying to create those or like Oklahoma, no, like RPO RPO is just a cousin of the triple option. It's just, you've put the pass in it's yeah. It's all those concepts are in pretty much all these offenses. Now it's just running an old fashioned triple option kind of flex bone offense that like we saw at Georgia tech, or we see now at Navy, like it would be awesome to watch a team with a ton of talent like Georgia do it. Cause I think they'd be really effective at it. Obviously it's just, that wouldn't solve Georgia's problem of being able to beat Alabama or Florida or any team like that. They'd still be losing those games because those offenses have the defenses that could stop it pretty easily. Well, or how about this one? Jalen hurts. Oklahoma was the triple option disguised or like triple option concepts disguised within a shotgun and spread attack. They made it to the college football playoff and then they got worked. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's probably the ceiling for it. Right. But I would love to see I would love to see somebody try it in the SEC. But I don't think it's Georgia's Vandy. program because you don't have Vandy. to do it. I think Vanderbilt would be good. Somebody floated uh South Carolina on my radio show. Uh there was a connection with Jeff Munkin at Army because I guess the president's an army guy at South Carolina. There was some connection there, and he's a That's long it. shot actually on the odds. But I don't even know if South Carolina, if you need to do it. I think it is a Vanderbilt or a Kansas or a team that's at the bottom tier mm-hmm. of a Power Five to do it. And when we say triple option, I think you also have to consider you suck the life out of the game. It's you huddle. You're running it. You're throwing it four or five times, not the Jalen Hurts, Oklahoma, where, yes, there were a lot of triple option concepts, but you still had some semblance of a passing game. He still did throw for a lot of yards. I, I'm thinking triple option, straight old school. You are running the football on third and nine, you know, <laughs> regardless of who cares. You know, you're just trying to execute a system where everybody's on the same page. And, man, it's – and I remember talking to Paul Johnson about it at Georgia Tech, like, hey – I asked him, I said, you know, and he, he wasn't going to give me the answer I was looking for, but I just kind of was curious to see what he said. Like, hey, what's your nightmare? What defense do you not like if you're running the triple option and you're calling these plays? And he said, if we execute our offense properly, no one can stop us. Yeah. Like he said, we have an answer for everything. You know, like was kind of, and there is that mindset does creep in. That's why you have different options. If you make the right read, you should have some positive play outcome. Because you're always going to have a one-man advantage on the defense. (laughs) But quickly, I think the most interesting part of the question we haven't answered yet, does anyone have a thought on whether you would be willing to compare uh, Kirby Smart and Mark Rick? Oh, that was my favorite part of the question because I – if Georgia fans feel like I'm hard on them, it does come from a personal – issue that I had with them running off Mark Rick. Mark Rick is my guy. He was who recruited me. He was my, you know, I I met him when I was 17 through the recruiting process. You know, he was my mentor, my quarterback coach while I was at Florida State. Tremendous amount of respect for both the coach he is and the man he is. And it drove me nuts that his good at Georgia wasn't good enough because they were close. And if there's the one pass against Alabama and it comes up, you know, if they get one more yard and they're able to knock off that giant to win an SEC championship, to enter the national championship discussion again, like what could have been. And I, that, that bothered me toward And then, and yet I understand it, but when the, Oh, he's not emotional enough or he's not, he doesn't show enough life on the sideline. I don't know. I, it did bother me. And I have reveled somewhat in the lack of, Oh, 
this is just going to take us to the next stratosphere because we haven't seen it yet. You're getting a whole lot more of the same uh, in Athens. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're in the in like the Mark Rick danger zone. Um, but I do think <laughs> that they're the. I, I am going to grant Kirby Smart the 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 leeway, the rope to show us what he can do with a roster full of like number one classes because he's just now getting to the point where he's got two number one classes on this roster and I'm the recruiting guy and I'm going to go to, to the talent, the recruiting side of things and we're blown, but I want to see it like right now, next year, they'll potentially have two or three classes that are number one caliber. Like, and so is that, is there that things? much, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Is there that much difference and number one, I mean, they've all since Kirby's gotten there, haven't they always right. been top five? So I, I actually think that there is. Okay. I think that there is a distinct difference between one, two, three, and four through seven, five through eight, kind of that range. Um, I think there's sort of some some distinct tiers that make a, a difference. Now, if you're if you're like if, if you're recruiting at like the number nine level and you tear up to like the number six level consistently, not that big of a deal. But if you're con- recruiting at the number four or five level and you tear up to the number one level consistently, I think that's actually a really big deal. Um, you're close before, but you're, you're kind of, you're, you're like the best of the best and, and, and with the number one tier. And like, I think that that's a distinct upgrade. That's anyways. So it's not all that different from like the actual rankings. So it's like there's yeah. certainly tiers. Like you could be a yeah. top ten program, but there's 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 like three tiers within the top ten at any given time. Yeah, exactly. I made a comment uh, of when Bama was playing Georgia this year, and it was kind of a flippant assumption that I made was oh Bama has more four and five stars than Georgia this season when they faced each other. And I had a Georgia fan say, no, 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 that's not the case. And I was kind of, and he actually sent me a link. I believe it was from your site, Bart. It was from uh, 24-7. And it had like a composite. So they weighted every four and five star, three, four, five star. And it did this year. Georgia had, based on the rankings, the higher, it was like a 97%. Like it was, it was like a zero to 100 scale. It was some sort of scale. But Georgia did have more talent on their roster than Alabama did. Do you know the, like the ranking I'm talking about? The total team composite, right? Yeah. yeah. Team talent composite. Georgia is the most talented roster in college football this year, according to the way the current players on their roster were ranked coming out of high school. And you know who's number five? USC? Texas? Texas. Yeah. Texas. New is one of those right there. But two, three, four is Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. Mm-hmm. Right. Know? So no coincidence. Mm-mm. Speaking, and this is like Clemson. Clemson hasn't been this high traditionally, though. Even during these years, they've kind of caught up, haven't they? Mm-hmm. This is the this is the this is the most talented roster Clemson's ever yeah. had, and it's and it's because it's the 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 true freshman class right now is the most talented freshman class Dallas Sweeney's ever recruited. Right. Clemson this weekend is a thirty-four and a half point favorite at Florida State. And that is one of the games that we have available on the CBSSports.com College Football Pick'em Challenge. We've been telling you about it. CBSSports.com slash college. Very easy to get to. And you've got a couple different options. You can enter uh, as an individual. Just pull up. You 
pick your winners against the spread and submit it, and you will be entered to win the $1,000 weekly cash prize. You can also set up a group, compete against your friends and your coworkers. Everybody gets to fill out your ticket. It's like you, you pull up the card, you choose all your winners against the spread, you submit it. We give you some great advice for that on Thursdays with tomorrow's edition of the week 12 locks, but you could go and fill it out right now. In fact, the contest starts every single Tuesday and it runs through Saturday at noon. It is the biggest games on Saturday. Pick them against the spread, submit your answers, and it gives you a chance to win the $1,000 weekly cash prize. Again, it's cbssports.com slash college. That's cbssports.com slash college to play the college football pick them. Costs nothing to enter, and you get a chance to win $1,000 weekly cash prize. Coming up on the other side, what do or what might Jim Harbaugh and Brian Kelly have in common and how might that actually be good news for fans of the Wolverines? Uh, we'll, We'll take a look. We'll break it down next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, next question. Either comes... From Barton himself, or at least at a minimum, a Barton Simmons super fan, because this is username on Apple Podcast, Sarton Bimmons. Good name. All right. Hey, guys. Great show. With all the hot seat talk for Harbaugh, I can't help but think of Brian Kelly's 4-8 and eight season at Notre Dame. Four years later, and Notre Dame is in the best spot it's been at at least since 2012, and the program is in a healthy spot. Is there anything to suggest Harbaugh could not do something similar in a few years if given a chance like Kelly was? Is it possible firing Harbaugh for one bad season is an overreaction? I know the 4-8 and eight Notre Dame team still finished 18th in SP+, so maybe that's a starting point. Unders only, lock. So I guess it's not Barton since he's... Uh, Apparently not part of the over army, but I, I thought it was an interesting. Or was that to throw us off the set? <laughs> <laughs> so is this, is it, cause the Notre Dame four and eight was the, it was the reckoning, right? I mean, isn't that where you, you start to change your strength and conditioning program. You start to uh, really dial in and lay the foundation for what would be the identity of the program that we see right now. I mean, is it, is it possible that Jim Harbaugh in Michigan could be having that kind of year or do you think that we're in sort of an irreversible spot well the the, so the Jim Harbaugh like it's not just this season with Jim Harbaugh um it hit like there is a problem with the fact that Ohio State keeps on absolutely boat racing Michigan like that's that's there too so I don't think it's an overreaction to say this is just not going to work um 
but I'll, I'll entertain the idea that this could be a Brian Kelly thing. Um, that this could, you know, Jim Harbaugh could bounce back from this in the way that Brian Kelly did from four and eight. But here's the way Brian Kelly bounced back from that four and eight season. He took, he took inventory of what was on his roster. He took inventory of, of himself, of his coaching staff, and he made dramatic wholesale changes. Um, that, that after that season, he had a new defensive coordinator. He had a new offensive coordinator. He had a new recruiting coordinator, new special teams coordinator, new strength coach, new director of scouting. Like there were of the 12 sort of primary on or off field positions uh, in 20, what did we say it was 2016, uh, 16 in 2017 of those 12, seven were new. Um, so Brian Kelly not only made sort of um, like tangible moves within his coaching staff, but there are also all sorts of reports of Brian Kelly um, b- being much more introspective about how he needed to change, about the ways he needed to be more present with the team, like be there in the like uh, during the morning strength and conditioning sessions, you know, be around his players and build a relationship with them beyond just sort of this uh, CEO kind of mentality and the ch- the changes that he's made have been uh, a really effective and and b sort of really relatively dramatic and he's continued to since then make much better hires much less kind of lazy hires than he was previously and just sort of leaning on old relationships um, and I think that that's that's made a huge difference and so can Jim Harbaugh do those things? That's the whole thing. It's like Jim Harbaugh has shown no indication that he is going to be as introspective as I think Brian Kelly was in bouncing back from that four and eight season. And so, and, and, and yeah, if Jim Harbaugh can do that, then I, I, I don't doubt that he could make those sort of, um, you know, that change the program in that kind of way. I just, he's given no indication that he is that kind of introspection. I think he has to the fact that Josh Gaddis is currently the OC because there was the complaint about Michigan's offense in the previous seasons in the first years of his, his tenure there where they were still a little too old school and a little too stodgy and that they needed to open things up a bit more, especially once they got Shea Patterson in. And I think that he showed in a willingness to do that by bringing in Gaddis to change the offense. Now the offense hasn't gone to the level that they want it to, obviously, but I think that he has shown it. And I think that, I think this offseason, one of the things, if he's going to take that step forward, is might have to change, make the change on the defensive side of the ball with Don Brown, where even though his defenses by and large have been successful, it's starting to get to the point where they look like they've been figured out by the most, for the most part, by opponents, and they haven't been successful this year for sure, and they've never were successful against Ohio State. So I feel like that's an area that he's going to have to reflect on. And just, you know, I had a I had a dream last night where uh, Jim Harbaugh was the new coach of the Bears, and I didn't really like it. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this is, this job's really getting to you. Yeah, <laughs> I've given this a lot of thought because there's a part of me that says, "Hold on, like let's slow down with the fire coach Harbaugh, fire Jim Harbaugh talk," because he has had a lot of success. He's had three 10-win seasons. You know, this team has had a lot more success than they did under Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. 
Um, but then I also am under the belief that I am very slow to fire coaches. Like I give coaches way more of a pass than most analysts, than most people who are in our business who give their opinion. Like I was, I was saying for Willie Taggart, Hey, you know, it's only been a year and two games when I probably should have been after three games saying, let's make a change. Right. I mean, there's, it can be a blinding factor as well. Um, I do think Brian Kelly had the national championship appearance, which did help him a lot. Although, Harbaugh has a Super Bowl appearance at the NFL level, which helps him. He has all the Michigan pull. There's a part of me that's kind of talking myself into giving Harbaugh one more year and saying, why not just let the contract run its course? Why not take this season for what it is? It's a disastrous year for a lot of people, uh, you know, for a lot of teams have been reeling to motivate at specifically programs like Michigan, LSU, Penn State, Florida State's not even in those categories recently, but they're struggling to motivate players. Like, it's hard to get these players to continually make these sacrifices, to grind, because it is a grind to be a college football player. And when you're not playing for the same goals that you thought you were going to Michigan to play for, it is easy to throw in the towel. And I think Tom hit on a pretty good point that he's already made the change offensively. As much, I like Don Brown as an individual but man, they were a statistical marvel versus the teams that weren't very good in the Big Ten. And even when they faced Ohio State, yes, they got trounced, but also Wisconsin. This is two years in a row they have been pushed around by Wisconsin and been run all over. So, but it goes back to Barton's question. And this is where I don't know if Jim Harbaugh, like if you sat him down and said, what is your plan I think it would just be, we're going to attack the day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Like, I, I want to hear specifics, though. I want to know, where are you personally going to, like, attack the day? Are you going to attack your own? Are you going to self-reflect and evaluate your shortcomings and where you're falling short? And are you going to try to fix those? And I don't, I, he's a stubborn dude, you know, like, he is stubborn, and I don't know if he's going to make those changes. So then I'm like back into, well, then it's time to make a change. But where's the better option? That's my question. Is somebody else going to get three 10-win seasons in their first five? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. And that's a risk you have to take at an institution like this sometimes. Yeah, see, that's the thing I also wonder too, like with Michigan, because I'm trying to figure out if Harbaugh is gone at the end of this year, who, who's the replacement? Like I know Luke Fickle is the first name everybody's going to say, but I genuinely don't know that Luke Fickle will want to take the Michigan job because I do feel like part of the reason the Michigan State job appealed to him in the first place was he got to be a rival of Michigan and just being a Ohio State guy. I don't think that he wants that Michigan job. I think Fickle has lived outside of the state of Ohio for a year. I think yeah. that everything else has been like like born in Ohio, played at Ohio State. I think he might have spent like one graduate assistant, longtime Ohio State assistant. I I don't like the only thing that would lure Luke Fickle to Michigan would be the Brinks truck. Like it would just have to be a decision for your family. We're like, well, $6 million a year, like whatever he ends up getting, you, you just, you got to go. Like I can figure out how to not call it the team up North for $6 million a year, but that there's, <laughs> there's like a lot of Luke Fickle, Luke Fickle, um, Ohio, just sort of sitting around like not, not really being ideologically aligned with uh, with being the the head of the Michigan football program. One thing I'll add to to Tom's point about um, the showing the willingness to make changes. 
Um, I agree. That was a more of a forward thinking hire to go and hire Josh Gaddis. And I think <clears throat> the hire made, made sense um, on the surface. It was, and I, I don't even think it's time to second guess it even now, but I think the way he went about it was very Jim Harbaugh. Like the reports are that, you know, Gaddis was the, um, you know, he was the pass game coordinator or whatever, at Alabama. He was about to get hired at Maryland as Mike Loxley's offensive coordinator. And Harbaugh basically just calls him up, having no relationship with him, having never talked to him before, and just says, hey, you want the job as a head coach, or as an offensive coordinator, rather. Do you, 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 uh, offense is yours. You're calling the plays. Let's, you know, what do you say? Like, you tell me, like, you don't think that there's a necessity to have, like, a conversation to, to make sure that your philosophies align to to just d- dig into that a little bit deeper. It's just a very hardball, like, attack, attack, attack. That guy is from Alabama, and he's going to, to Maryland, and I want him. And it's like, that's, that is not the sort of thoughtfulness that I think is and, – and look, Gaddis may work out and be great. And so it's not even the, the actual decision. It's just the decision-making process that I just don't quite believe in for Jim Harbaugh at this point. Next question comes from uh, Matthew M six one five six one five two six and Mayor. If this is you, I swear I will out you on this because the, the question is a Penn State fever dream. So here we go, Mayor. If this is you, congratulations, you made the show. Penn State is essentially two points against Ohio State and another horrible committee decision. Washington over Penn State is still mind-blowing from three playoff appearances under Franklin. Not even accounting for those, they were still on the Clemson trajectory when they had their own Deshaun Watson go to their fiercest rival. In a world where Moorhead stays and Fields doesn't flip, how do you see this alternate universe playing out? Is Penn State Clemson, or do you think they still end up lacking the total talent to keep up with Ohio State? Well, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't do the hypothetical in a world where Moorhead stays because he was too good. Like he was going to get a head coaching job. Yeah, I mean, what are we going to like? What do we like? Okay, then let's play the game where every like great coordinator stays forever at every school. Like right, the, Chad I mean, Morris left. Clemson and they still they got better chief greatness yeah. without Chad Morris. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm more than happy to entertain the the hypothetical of Justin Fields sticking with his commitment. Um, but you have to at some point address the the reality that a really good coordinator is gonna leave. Okay. So with that said, I mean, if Justin Fields had stuck with his commitments to Penn State, I absolutely believe that they would have made at least one playoff. Uh, under under Justin Fields, um, and I guess I guess I shouldn't say like to, to the idea that they would get in over Ohio State multiple times is 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 hard is is, a, is hard to to come by for me. But I think they would get in it. I would think they get in once. Um, and we talked about it. I mean, we talked about how Penn State the quarterback situation is just is just not quite there. Justin Fields would fix that. And I still think that this, like even this year's team, they are missing a first round pick in Micah Parsons, a first round pick in Journey Brown, uh, a, their second team running back in, in Noah Kane. Like, I, 
I do think this year's team is closer than people sort sort of sort of than the own four records yes, yes. because that's that's a tough those are tough losses to absorb. But the Justin Fields thing would have actually absolutely changed a, a lot of the history with Penn State. I'm sorry. I stopped listening to the question when they said that a two-loss Penn State team that had lost by 39 to Michigan and lost to Pitt deserved to be in the playoff over a one-loss Washington team whose only loss came to the same USC team that also beat Penn State in the bowl game that year. (laughs) (laughs) So Justin Fields was a freshman in the 2018 season. He was playing at Georgia. Do you think that he is the starting quarterback – on September 29th, 2018, for that Ohio State game in Happy Valley. No, because that was McSorley was the starter, right? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have beaten. I don't think he would have. As a true freshman, I don't think he would have beat out McSorley. Okay. No. Couldn't beat out Fromm or Eason. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, so. it's See, think, to me, I don't think you could say it's Clemson because Clemson won a national championship. Right, and you don't know for sure that Penn, that in 2018 or 2019, Penn State was not only going to eclipse Ohio State, but also go on to win a national championship. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think that in 20, I think a Justin Fields 2019 quarterback to Penn State team. What was their what was their, what was their record? Last they year. finished 11 and two. Their two losses were one on the road to Minnesota and two on the road to Ohio State. Both okay. Minnesota by five, Ohio State by 11. And they were awful in that Ohio State game. It was not an 11 point game. Yeah. But Just, I th- think Justin, Justin Fields, Justin Fields, Fields off Ohio State, put yeah. it on Penn State. Right. Maybe. So who's Ohio State's quarterback then would have been the, I mean, that that's <laughs> Joe Burrow. so essentially if justin Fields stays at penn state Uh, lsu does not have a national title right now that's what the end result is the burrow the burrow problem was haskins not fields true Mm. Uh, that's they 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 chose haskins over burrow so that he was going to be gone regardless tate martell (laughs) oh oh wow then yeah penn state's winning the big 10 in 2019 for sure i think i think they're in in 2019 all right uh Next question. Let's see. Where's the... This one comes from... Where'd it go? Wait, you know what? You know who might have been Ohio State's quarterback had had they not had Justin Fields? What? Jalen Hurts. Because mm, he was just going to go to like wherever Dropping. he could go and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, compete for a championship right away? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe, but I mean... Lincoln Riley's like true, but that's that wasn't like a exactly sort of a no. But I think it would have I think it would have made him think a little bit harder. Maybe could have been. Okay, I got a separate. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. We'll get the mailbag questions. I All was right. going to ask a question, but it could no ask it. Ask well, it. I was going to say, do you think James Franklin is looking to get out of Penn State? Because every time there's an opportunity, his name starts floating around, and I wonder if he realizes the ceiling. He's seen the ceiling. USC being the latest uh, with Clay Helton. If Clay Helton doesn't survive, you know, his name was floated for Florida State when Florida State was looking at it. And I don't, I think his agent or his representation could possibly be the one shopping him around. And I don't know if that happens without him allowing it to happen. We, we have discussed, but in, in like last year, we discussed it. I, I do think James Franklin would be a perfect hire for USC. I don't know if that means he's looking to leave, but I do think that if that job came open, he would be a great hire for them. So, but here's the thing with Franklin is he, his, his skill set, his, his, the thing he does really well is 
run a program is be a CEO is have is build out the infrastructure and staff that is going to allow you to just be operate on this really high level. And the problem with the USC job is, is there like, that's the, that, that is what USC is missing is like the resources, the, like the physical office space in that, in that uh, environment to like be like to allow you to hire the, the recruiting staff, the, uh, the player development staff, the strength and conditioning, like there, there's the resources around USC um, as I understand it, are, are are significantly lacking relative to the other sort of blue blood powerhouses. Like Texas, for example, would make a lot more. And not that I don't know if Texas would be interested, but from a from what how how Franklin could be successful, a job like Texas, I think he would kill it at a place like that. You know, I think Florida State seems to have some sort of. Um, systemic issues currently that that probably would have been a little bit scary for him to jump at a job like that I and in, and in a way I think part maybe the reason that you hear his name floating around all the time is because he's constantly trying to leverage the Penn State administration to give him more give him more you know so that he can go where he wants to to go uh, this question from Will, and I, I wanted to get it in just because he, he replied on Twitter. He said, uh, I sent this back in August, an actual five-star review, and he said, pretty sure it got mixed in with all the DK hate, parentheses, <laughs> none here, exclamation point. So Will's got no hate. Somewhat of an off-season topic, but next off-season it won't really be relevant. Look forward to the show. All right, Will, your question. The ACC had a golden opportunity this season, and it seems to me they have botched it. The ACC obviously would prefer Notre Dame to be a full-time member, right? With every conference scrapping non-con games, Notre Dame would have struggled to put together a schedule this year. Under threat of missing out on a whole season of football, it really seems like the ACC could have blackmailed Notre Dame into joining the conference permanently. Thoughts on this? Could it have worked? How big a deal would missing a whole season be for Notre Dame? I might be the only one who cares, but it really bugs me that they aren't in a conference. Instead, it seems to me that the ACC is committed to continuing to be Notre Dame's doormat for the foreseeable future. Love, Will. Let's take a look at the circumstances that needed to exist for Notre Dame to join a conference for one year. (laughs) Global pandemic. (laughs) Notre Dame is never going to join a conference unless there is literally no other option available to it. Had the ACC said you become a full member now or you're not playing any games this year, Notre Dame would have played BYU, UMass. It would have just had as many games as it could taking the losses it had to because it's not like they're hurting for money in South Bend. They have their own television deal and just tried to grit grit their teeth and bear through it and make their way to 2021 and start over again. They will not join the ACC, the Big Ten. They won't join anybody unless they have no other choice. Well, they won't join anywhere but the ACC before 2036 contractually. That deal that has them playing five games a year also has a clause in it that says Notre Dame will not join any other conference. And if it does join a conference, it's going to be the ACC. And John Swafford, like, uh, I was about to do that just really snotty capital J journalist thing. Wait, wait. I've talked to John Swafford about this. I've talked to John Swafford about Notre Dame. And he... 
He's comfortable. He likes the deal. He thinks it's a, a good deal for both sides because the like what a uh, ACC school gets in terms of tickets and in terms of like the attraction of Notre Dame coming to your stadium and the fan base and the boosters being able to sell the travel packages to Chicago with the bus that'll then take you into South Bend for the game. I, I think the relationship continues as it is. Yeah, and you know what Notre Dame said when they were like, okay, you got to sign this contract through 2036. Notre Dame said, yeah, make it 2050, make it 2100. We don't care. We're not joining a conference. <laughs> the, I, go ahead. I like Will. Uh, I like his question. I actually love it because I feel the same like ire towards Notre Dame for this. We're better than you. We can do this on their own. I wish the ACC would have played this a little more forcefully maybe said you have to do it for two years, <laughs> maybe three years to get them a taste. Um, as much as the TV deal is referenced, I don't think it's as lucrative as no. people make it out to be. I think it's more of the Notre Dame, we're better than you mentality. We can do things our own way. I think it's going to hurt them at some point down the road. And I don't know if it stings enough to get them to join the ACC. Like, I think if they get left out of the playoff, you know, because they don't have a conference champion, maybe they're a one-loss team and they get eked out by somebody else, and maybe this year they see what it's like being a part of it. But by then we'll probably have an expanded playoff, and that'll allow them just to become, you know, still be an independent because they never truly got burned by it. But I would love it. I mean, hey, as an ACC guy, I think it would do wonders for the conference. It clearly is a benefit to the ACC. That's why I wish that they could have looked at maybe doing this a little bit longer term. But knowing the way Notre Dame operates, I just I don't think it's going to happen. So I echo Tom's sentiments. I don't I don't think it's a we're better than you think. I because th- I think that if they join the ACC, oh, it it's strictly TV money. They'd get more money as part right. of the ACC than they do on their own. It's just they don't need the money. They, they they what they prefer is their freedom to do as they want as far as scheduling and keeping their rivalries. I don't. It's not a we're better than you think it's we want to play Stanford we want to play USC we want to play Navy we want to play all these games and if we join the ACC we can't do that also Why we not? want to recruit because you have to play eight games or, you have you to play eight, eight or nine ACC games and then you've got it you can't play both USC and Stanford if you're playing eight ACC games now you're at 10 you add Navy now you're at 11 so now you've got one you know one game left so You've got other rivalries. You've got Michigan. You've got Michigan State. You have all this stuff where you want to be playing all across the country because you recruit nationally. You're a national brand. And I look at it as in any walk of life, whether it's college football or any, any career path, if you can get through independently without having to owe anything to anybody else and do it on your own and get by comfortably, that is always the preferable option to anybody if alabama could do it right now they would do it it's just it's much more difficult for them to do it because they're so entrenched in the sec but notre dame never really got entrenched with anybody and it's enjoy it's like a bachelor in his 40s man he's just out there having fun you know (laughs) and they do like they're a full member in every other sport yeah like they they the relationship again, they got the, again they got the best of both worlds that's why I share Will's frustration <laughs> like they get the best but of the everything ACC, the, the they didn't come to the ACC the ACC oh, came to them agree that's not that's not us being better than you that's what yeah sure that'd be great for us that's that's a good idea but we're not bringing football 
Someone but, on this podcast may or may not have claimed Notre Dame already as an ACC team when they made the playoff before, just so you could say two ACC teams <laughs> were in the playoff. Somebody may or may not have made that claim before. And now with this year, I'm definitely going to do that moving forward for here for forever. Uh, just, just for the record, Danny, Will, you guys are not alone. Uh, one other guy who's not afraid of a fight named Pat Narduzzi has gone on the record on this one. <laughs> yes. I yes, hope they yes. do join. To me, it's either you play right. with us or you don't play with us, you know? You know, right. almost like to boycott them. If you want to play in the ACC, come play in the ACC. And if you don't want to play, let's not give them five games. Let them go play BYU or whoever <laughs> else they want to play. We shouldn't be giving them games. But they're talented, Rage. and we'd love to have them in the ACC for sure. Hey, Pat, Pitt was scheduling games with Notre Dame before it was in the ACC. <laughs> Just you should be aware of where you're at. That's a rivalry. <laughs> I mean, you either play with, I don't have a Pat Narduzzi. <laughs> Just, uh, all right. Uh, finally, one, this question comes from Chris. Uh, Chris says, what's up, guys? Favorite pod out there and had a couple questions for y'all about Nebraska. I've been a diehard Husker fan since birth and have felt nothing but pain and sadness for a long, so you're young. long, <laughs> long time. I wanted to get you guys look on Nebraska in the short term and in the long term. How do you guys feel about Scott Frost in year three, the current quarterback situation and long term? Can Nebraska raise its recruiting level? Do you think Nebraska reaches the Big Ten championship level anytime soon? College football playoffs. Sorry for asking so many questions. I just all caps need Nebraska to be good again. Keep up the great work. Love Chris. Well, I think as far as recruiting is concerned, like as far as the big 10 West, I, I have, I think in the talent rankings that we were talking about earlier, I think Nebraska is the most talented team in the West. So I don't know if he's going to be able to at Nebraska increase the the talent base enough to where it could be at Ohio state's level or Michigan's level or Penn state's level, that might be more difficult. Although I do think that if Penn state starts winning games, it becomes slightly easier to do as far as my opinion of where frost is in year three, I am in the quarterback situation. I am a little concerned that like Adrian Martinez, when he showed up with frost, I thought had a very promising freshman year. And I thought that with what we saw from frost at UCF, the way he was able to develop quarterbacks there and help them grow in that system and improve. I figured Adrian Martinez was going to take that kind of step forward too and could end up being, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, if not, you know, the second or best quarterback in the Big Ten. And there hasn't been any growth on that front as far as I could tell. And I I do worry about the lack of development at that position because that was something that I thought Scott Frost would be fantastic at. And he had shown an ability to do at previous stops, both as the head coach and offensive coordinator places. So that concerns me, but that could just be Adrian Martinez. That could just be the players that they have. He just hasn't found the right quarterback. But I do think that if there's anything that worries me about what's happened so far, that would probably be the biggest red flag in my mind you know, I remember Adrian Martinez was like third in the country in the Heisman odds last year or something yeah. hell yes <laughs> I don't know man I'm, I'm sort of I don't, I don't really I'm kind of tired of giving Nebraska takes it's just <laughs> it's just like it's just guessing I'm I'm willing to ride this out let this play out give it more time continue to assess and evaluate. I don't feel confident that Scott Frost is going to get them contending for Big Ten titles. Um, 
but I'd still think that that's very well within a reasonable expectation. I think he's got to get the recruiting thing figured out. It does this pandemic stuff doesn't help uh, because they are a program that needs to be able to get outside their 300 mile radius. Um, and they've done some good work getting guys from Florida, but I think until you get like, there's going to be when you're pulling guys in from like South Florida or something to, to Lincoln, there's going to be some volatility to that. You're going to have some transfers. You're going to have some bounce back. Like it might just take a little bit of time for them to find their sweet spot of kind of the type of kid, the, the location, the area where they can find these guys and, and get them on campus outside of the Midwest. Um, I mean, Mike Riley went to California, started finding some success there. Scott Frost has been digging into Florida. I think they, I think they're still finding the groove right now and, and they haven't found it yet. I still sort of trust in Scott Frost to get there, but I don't think, I don't think anything's a certainty. And I, and I'm agree with Tom. I think that the quarterback development was something that was an, was an assumed positive and it has yet to, to um, manifest itself into that kind of a, a, an advantage. What was the dude's name with the question? Chris. Oh, poor Chris, man. He's coming off a signature win. They just beat Penn State. They look like they found a quarterback and Luke McCaffrey, like you're feeling optimistic. And Tom and Barton just totally rained on the parade. I tend to agree with them, though. <laughs> so maybe come back to a little bit of reality. The fact of the matter is you're married to Scott Frost. Like you, It's a long-term commitment with the extension they gave him uh, through 2026. I like Scott Frost personally. I think it takes a unique individual to understand what it takes to win at Nebraska. Uh, clearly, he's got that, having played there and had some success there, but that was a different era. That was a different conference. Uh, so you're going to see significant challenges that arise. But I think there's reasons for optimism, and thankfully, you did get a signature win, right? You did get a win on there that you can say, hey, we're showing progress. Um I don't know about it was a very short window and I know I was really excited after the first drive of that game but you've got a young quarterback who I think you could develop now you have to take the next step by the way he looks the most like his dad out of any of the uh, McCaffrey yes, uh, yes, kids yes. out there like I know that Ed McCaffrey was my teammate with the Broncos and like some of them like they don't look like Ed at all his mannerisms his body language all of it was like oh that's Ed's kid right there but I think there's some reasons to be excited about it, but you've got to see continual development. And I think it'll be a slow process. That's, I think, basically is kind of the buy-in that even Nebraska is aware of is this isn't going to be a next season Nebraska's playing for Big Ten championships. I think it's clearly from when he took over, it was a four or five-year plan. And I think that's probably going to be the reality of the situation. They can play for Big Ten championships before 2022? I mean, so next I, year you're saying? No, like next year would be 21. I'm giving like another year, and I'm saying 2022. Eight and four next year. Eight yeah, and four it, next year, and then hopefully a 10 win, you know, competing. You, you can't rule them out of playing for a Big Ten championship simply because they are in the West. Which is, and, yeah, you compare yourself to Wisconsin, and it's like if you think you can close the gap with Wisconsin, then you can win the West. I, I think that yeah. in the same way that it's just so difficult for Penn State or Michigan or anybody else – Nebraska can't measure itself against Ohio State because then you're just chasing after the carrot. 
Yeah, because in, in the Big Ten West, if you're playing a full nine-game schedule like in a normal season, you can get to the Big Ten Championship going 7-2 and two in conference play. So, yeah, they, they can get there. Okay. Whether they can win once they're there. <laughs> I don't know. Remember what happened last time they reached the Big Ten Championship game? I was there. I watched Melvin Gordon do the same fly sweep roughly 50 times as Wisconsin put up 60-something on him. Yeah, that game got highlighted after Mississippi State lit up LSU because everybody's like, let's roll out Bo Pelini's greatest hits of when his defenses have gotten absolutely shredded <laughs> by the same three plays. Like, Oh, I, would, I could do, I could, yeah, I could spend an hour talking about that game. But anyways, that can be, uh, that can be another podcast. That'll be, we'll mm-hmm. do that in February, maybe. Um, all right. Since, since we started around Bo Pelini, we ended around Bo Pelini. That's uh that's the perfect way to wrap the Bo Pelini mailbag podcast. That is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. That's Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fennell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Week 12 locks coming on Thursday. Make sure you subscribe to go get it. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.